This is a shock podcast. Shock. In this scenario, both the Ferrari and the Mercedes were clearly running the car so low to the ground that the skid blocks completely wore off. Enough of the wood had worn off as well for them to be disqualified. Do you want to be running as low as possible to the ground because the underside of the car contributes to a lot of the downforce that they have. And the lower you run to the ground, the more pressure you have that then generates that kind of suction effect to the bottom of the ground. Have I got that right, guys? Absolutely. Spot I mean, on. Amazing. Spot on. Amazing. I should, I should enter Jasman's uh, Mechanic Academy. <laughs> <laughs>
but they do get a different kind of attention compared to to Europe or the rest of the world. I think from a, a management perspective as well, if you're looking at the business of racing, I feel like it's just it's so much easier to get sponsorship in the US for things like motorsports. Sponsorship is always the bane of anyone's existence in racing, right? It's like the hardest thing to get. Mm-hmm. Even here in Malaysia, I know we all have our, our issues with it. But in the States, it's like every car is just slapped up with stickers and different brands. And and then, yeah, you were saying at a junior formula, I mean, college football, guys. Can mm-hmm. you imagine having as much viewership as like the NFL playing in university? It's incredible, right? Yeah. They, they have like a correct foundations for these talents to, you know, reach to the top. And they already get recognized in those junior categories, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even the splurge of sponsors nowadays and, and uh, ever since Liberty Media's in Formula One, we also see, you know, brands like Oracle and all these cool brands that, that, that's coming on board into Formula One. So it's, it's such a good thing to see in a different kind of way in sports. They have a good foundation, but they also have a good-sized population. I think, <laughs> I think that's, 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 that's the biggest thing. Um, let's focus a bit more on Coda itself. So you've raced in the States. Have you raced on Coda, Circuit <laughs> of the Americas? So Coda was one of the circuits that I really wanted to drive on, but never got the opportunity. Oh, we just okay. never went to that circuit. So it's a Herman Tilke track. I was going to say all Herman Tilke tracks are similar. I don't I don't know. I mean, it, I wish I had his job, but it kind of looks like he just puts like a, he boils a bit of spaghetti and then he just chucks it on a table. <laughs> and then he's like, there is your new circuit. It is a circuit that a lot of people love. Verstappen loves it as well. I mean, Ricardo loves it. Definitely going to talk about him. He always rocks up in his, his <laughs> cowboy boots and cowboy hat. But the track itself, it is very, very tough to drive. It's, Looks like it. Yeah, it's very technical. I mean, there's long straights, third, fourth gear corners, non-stop, very hard on the tyres. And track limits is always an issue. I think going back to what you mentioned, Dan, on Herman Tilke's circuits, the, he's always overbuilding. Like the track is mm-hmm. so huge because perhaps there's no budget limitations, right? So you have a blank canvas of paper and mm-hmm. you, you draw up one of the best circuits in the world, but it's actually just once a year, right? Yeah. So it's, it's still fairly new um, in the Formula 1 calendar. It's one of the stepping stones of the return of races in America. Previously, Formula 1 was in Indianapolis. So Yeah, they, Tilka added that much wider turn one. I remember when they first launched the circuit and he was like, hmm, how do we improve overtaking? Which is always a conversation in F1, right? And obviously that's going to be heavily driven by the technical regulations. But from a circuit perspective where people are complaining about the relevance of tracks like Monaco and other street circuits because it's almost impossible to overtake on, you know, with these cars that are so big, wide and long now and heavy. He does have those little quirks. Turn one is very, very wide, so it's good enough for, I don't know, five, six cars going wide. Uh, And we did see quite a bit of action going there, but it is quite hard to overtake throughout the rest of a circuit, right? You've got that really complex, fast chicane section where when you're in super high downforce cars, you're you're just stuck in dirty air. Yeah, it's it's difficult. You know, third, fourth gear corners are good and technical for the drivers, but then when you're side by side or, or you're trying to prepare for an overtake, you only aim for the long straights. Mm-hmm. And Kota in sector three is one of the um, main opportunities. First corner, the main straight, uh, the rest, you're, 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 you're all stuck behind dirty air. So there's a lot of planning and challenging. I, I saw some of the onboards and even recently on the radio, they try to regen the battery as much as they can to mm-hmm. deploy it on the main street. So 
Personally, it's not one of my favorite circuits to watch, yeah. but um, the atmosphere, I mean, it was a 400,000 crowd spectator over the weekend and plenty of celebrities, so nothing beats uh, a race in Kota, right? Would you say, like, because of how the track is designed, the drivers have to be more strategic as well in how they regenerating energy, preparing for the straights to overtake. It changes the mindset of, you know, being at a normal racetrack, like Silverstone, for example. Yeah, I mean, um, that's what Formula One's about, right? It's mm-hmm. having one of the best strategies, but what we see strategies off track is putting a good pit stop and try to undercut or even overcut, basically creating the opportunities. But drivers themselves is creating that opportunity within the car, right? And Kota, I think drivers themselves love it because it's like a game of chess. If they attack now, they don't have any energy left um, at the end of the back straight. So it's saving the best for last. It's a much more complicated game of chess for drivers. Wow, my throat went. (laughs) (laughs) For drivers like Leclerc, uh, who have to deal with uh, Ferrari's strategy of A, B, C, D, E, and F. And he has to remember all of that. But one pet peeve, I'm just going to be honest here, right? From a, from a driver's perspective, we did see quite a few overtakes on Coda. It is technical. We've just spoken about that. But you do see a lot of like side-by-side action, right? That is very unique to F1. And, and why it annoys me a little bit, particularly when you watch the highlights and they're like, oh, this was the overtake of the race. You know, as a racing driver, you move up from go-karts, you move up to, you know, Formula 4, Formula 3, Formula 2, where most of your overtakes Really, if you want to show how good you are, it's about diving in, break late, not lock up, not go wide, hold the position and all of that jazz. But then you move to F1 where it's like, okay, you got DRS, there's a lot of just overtaking on the straights, which you know as a driver requires a lot less skill. And then you have these like, because they have crazy downforce, which junior formula don't have, they can go side by side around the outside, which is kind of just like, for me, it's very meh. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's hard, right? It's a very physically demanding car to drive. So going around the outside, G-force and all of that, and it is dirty. So you have to worry about losing traction and stuff. But you can't pull that off in an F3 car. Imagine going too wide around a chicane in an F3 car. You're going to, your steering wheel is going to understeer and you're going to go off the track. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't know. That's just, that was just me venting for two straight (laughs) minutes. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) But I, I agree. I think like if you were to pull that off, like that kind of maneuver in a junior formula, I think it feels much more rewarding because you yes. know it's it's so much more difficult you have less downforce less grip like you feel like you've you would have accomplished more uh doing that in a junior car particularly on a track like coda where it is so bumpy right drivers were complaining about the bumpiness all weekend verstappen was saying that it wasn't f1 worthy something like that and we did see a couple drivers lock up you know we've seen like stroll lock up both of his front tires but having you know all of us have raced on street tracks we've raced in carts and stuff like that you know that when it gets bumpy it is so hard to break i know i know that sounds so silly but for someone that hasn't driven a car it makes it so much harder to overtake i'm thinking of elite in malaysia this yeah. bumpy track that we have in go-karts i mean diving on the inside at elite you know you're gonna lock up and just go and just go bounce through and you're like i don't know if i'm gonna make the apex or not. Yeah, and then and then your spine compresses and you have back aches and etc. etc. Yeah. <laughs> but for the listeners to 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 understand is that in, in race cars like Formula or Formula One particularly, you you're seated very, very low to the ground. Mm-hmm. And the next thing is just your your floor and your skids and, and, and that's it. And and it's not a comfortable environment <laughs> when you're creating that opportunity to overtake. So some of the sacrifices that we do for the sport, right? Just to compress your lower back. I still have back pain to this day <laughs> and neck pain 
Yeah. I'll introduce you to my chiropractor. Please. Yeah. Do I get do I get like a Ron fifty promo code? We get a ten percent <laughs> voucher. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. Okay. Um. So we have another sprint weekend on our hands, and I know again we had a lot of confusion with with some of our our friends and fans. So, uh, Ron, do you want to walk us through what exactly a sprint weekend entails and why it's different from other race weekends? Yes. So I'll, I'll run through the schedule. So on Friday you've got practice one. Practice two and three is basically eliminated. You've got qualifying on the Friday, just after practice one. And then you move on to Saturday with the sprint shootout, which is basically the sprint qualifying for the sprint race on the Saturday as well, before you go to the main race on Sunday. Now, there's a lot of controversy on, you know, maybe half, 50% of the people not liking the sprint format. Another one thinking, oh, it makes the racing more interesting because you have the sprint race before the main one where drivers can pretty much go crazy and they hope for more accidents i think so it's a bit of a 50 50 i want to know what you guys think like do you guys prefer the sprint format or the traditional one we, we did speak about this last last episode i think at the end of the day we we came to the conclusion that it's worth a shot to be honest i, I mean i'm not a fan of it i think if the, the the short answer is i'm not a fan of it but also you know verstappen did make a good point in one of the interviews saying that you know it's not up to the drivers to see what makes a race weekend more marketable they just have to drive right so this is liberty media's kind of job at the moment mm-hmm. It's worth experimenting, but I don't know if it's something that should be continued. I, I'm not a fan. I think if they wanted to do a sprint weekend, it has to be an entire sprint weekend. I think in, in GTs or, or in other championships, you can do a quality race, quality race kind of format or quality race one and you know your, your second best time is for race two, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's helping the cost either. I mean, you're pushing the teams to add more budget to do this sprint racing because you have to fork out money for the quality and you mm-hmm. you know even for the drivers you have extra bonuses when they get the wins and the points and but the problem being as well is that they can't do a pilot elsewhere because you can't test it out during a test day right or you can't kind of host a, a race weekend without any crowds to see how it goes they can only do it during that race weekend so it's it's a little bit of give and take but I'm with you Dan I, I think the current format is is probably a bit too complicated for the fans do you know what I wish they would bring in I don't know if you guys remember this from your karting days particularly if you guys raced in Europe Super Pole Ooh. do you remember Super Pole yeah, yeah. Super Pole yeah. Yeah. so Super good can you guys explain that I'll explain it to the best of my own knowledge <laughs> it may not be the best but let's try well super pole is like this whole hype uh back in the back in karting days everyone had pretty much let's say like confidential tires like super soft super sticky tires and everyone was like i think it was the most exciting moment in the entire weekend because every driver just they just want to put it on pole yeah, right? so, from so it's, the hundred of drivers that they're competing against with it's qualifying that's one lap yes pretty much yeah they go out like the out lap do the quick fly and like that's it like that that'll be the end of the tires um and everyone is like they just want to see i think it's it's even more exciting than, than the race itself because they see drivers take limits that they've never done the entire weekend just to make that one lap and for whatever reason there's just this big hype around it like everyone's like anxiously waiting for like super pole results um i don't know i don't know how, how best to explain it really like the whole feeling of it it's it's like a high stakes game it's qualifying in essence but you get one lap and you're the only one on track i think in karting when you um, do super pole i can't remember but maybe remember, maybe okay. so so let, let's just assume that, that you are you're the only one on track and you get one lap to be as fast as you can and the whole track every team all of your competitors are just watching you. 
But in the V10 era, they had the um, um, that one lap wonder yeah, format. Yeah, similar, right? Yeah, but they they went from back to front. I think so. If you're in FP3 and you kind of finish in that order, so they start they start from the uh, back end teams first, and then and then the best then does their lap time. But I think it's a bit of an unfair advantage because of track evolution. Because obviously the mm, the one yes. that goes last is going to be the quickest anyway, right? Yeah. But I think Super Bowl is super exciting because mm. I think they should give one particular set of tyres, like a hyper, hyper, hyper soft mm-hmm. for that lap one lap wonder for the Q3 guys, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. call it Super Bowl. Yeah. You can see probably see Albans and, you know, one of the Haases having an opportunity to actually be, be up front. Yeah. But whatever the strategy remains for the race is totally not relevant to Q3. Although now, yes, Q2 tyres are, are the tyres you start in the race, but the Super Bowl format for perhaps the sprint races is, is, is a good idea. I think the, the only relevant format that they still have until today is actually qualifying for ovals in the States because for qualifying in ovals, they do it one at a time as well. So it's a bit like Super Bowl. They're not allowed to go out on track at the same time purely for safety reasons as well as if you're alone on track, there's no excuses on like, oh, there's traffic or anything like that. And it's also just as interesting and as um, uh, nervous, like nerve-wracking for the drivers because you're you're on track alone. The whole stadium's looking at you. Yeah. You've got your outlap and then you've got four flyers, which you have to make the best average and yeah. then you pit in. That's it. It's like the Indy 500 qualifying. Exactly like right? the Indy 500 yeah. qualifying. Yeah. you got to yeah. qualify for the top 30 and Correct. if you're not qualified, you're not qualified. Yeah. Right? So we've, we've pretty much just evolved into putting F1 cars on <laughs> ovals <laughs> now. <laughs> if you're listening to this, uh, Liberty Media, there you go. We won't charge you for that, that bit of advice. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, with that sprint weekend format, uh, we started with qualifying, and this is where we saw Ricardo's official return uh, outside of practice into a race format. Sonoda did pip him out a little bit into Q1, but then they both got knocked out in Q2, so not how Ricardo wanted to have his comeback start. He was in P15 with Sonoda just missing out on Q3. So Sonoda starting off a lot stronger. I mean, let's talk about the mentality of this comeback. Really, I mean, his his objective now and always has been to beat his teammate. Mm-hmm. So do you think there are any other pressures? He's just got to perform with uh, the weight of him being a Grand Prix winner, highly experienced, driven with different teams, championship winning teams and etc. There's no doubt that any car he he jumps into, there's no nothing less than beating his teammate. I think he should beat his teammate at every session by a mile because he knows every inch of what's needed in an F1 car. Even it's, with a semi-broken wrist? I mean, he proved himself over the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, spring quality and, and main quality. So he's just not in a championship winning car. That's it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he did also say, I think he calls it like, I am more experienced, but, you know, I can't deny that I'm also, like, rusty, like, racecraft-wise and all of that, which which is totally understandable. And if you look at the results from Q, well, qualifying for the main race, he was only two and a half away from Yuki. So not bad, really, for a comeback after missing a couple of races, recovering from an injury. Um, But yes, there should be a lot of pressure on his shoulders because he is the more experienced. He needs to be ahead of his teammate at all costs. Yeah, for sure, for sure. A lot of pressure as well on 
Sergeant, uh, who was just all the way at the back. Albon also out in Q1, so a little bit of pressure there as well. We know he's had some really, really good showings, but that's really not where he wants to be. And then we saw Verstappen get pulled by 0.005. That's five thousandths? Yeah, five thousandths. My math is so bad. (laughs) Five thousandths ahead of a clerk. So very, very close. Seeing all the competitors inch slightly closer to the Red Bulls, but then his lap time got deleted and he got demoted to P6, which I love seeing. You know, just because you've won the world championship already with a couple races to go doesn't mean that his life has to be easy for every single race. Yeah. <laughs> it's also the nature of the track, I think. And and we were talking earlier, Dan, of how he spins in um, certain sessions like sprint quality and he does a perfect loop and, and still put it, you know, on the front row or whatever it may be, right? He's still giving it 120%. This is a real thing. I think we need to share it with everybody listening. When drivers spin... Right, you look at them and you're like, oh, they're, they kind of suck. Oh, they're making such a rookie error. But Verstappen has done it consistently since he's been in F1. I remember that amazing Interlagos shot of him in the... Um, the downhill... Uh, not the Alpha Tori, what was it? Toro Rosso, Toro Rosso back yeah. then. And he's just going downhill and he's like literally sideways. 90 degrees sideways. Yeah. And all he does is like chip his front wing a little bit. He always spins to find the limit, but he always just keeps it on the black stuff. Like he never mm-hmm. smashes his car up, yeah. really. It's always controlled, isn't it? Yeah. So I feel like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Usually, I just, think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he does. You know, <laughs> World Championship under his belt. Uh, he's, prob- he's probably got the correct prayer while doing it, you know, like yeah. <laughs> racing for the best. <laughs> <laughs> but usually it's like, I guess with like junior drivers, when you start to spin, your instinct is clutch in and then kick the brake as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he just looks at the mirrors and he actually knows how to yeah. flip the steering wheel around. No, anyway, he, thumbs yeah. up. That was a very, very impressive move by him. Uh, let's talk about the shootout before we get into all of the different races. Sergeant dead last. As always. As always. But Albon in P9. So redeeming himself. Mm-hmm. We were saying the, the girlfriend effect. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know on TikTok that trend where it's like guys before and after a girlfriend and they just end up looking more fashionable. They have like better skincare and all of that. Albon has that, but with his on-track performance. All thanks to Lily. It's the Lily effect. It's the Lily effect. Shout out to you, Lily. (laughs) (laughs) And this is where we saw Ricardo doing a little bit better. Um, Yeah, miles better, actually, compared to the first qualifying he did. So I think think we can't kind of neglect the fact that that rust is real, right? I mean, like, if you're out of a car for a couple of weeks, like, it does take a bit of time for you to to get up to speed, even if you do are recovering from a, a broken wrist. I'm glad that he he did kind of get up to speed quite quickly. I think our closest comparison, to be honest, I feel like we're molly coddling him and giving him excuses, being like, yeah, he needs time. But, you know, we got the MotoGP coming up in Malaysia in a few weeks. And those guys like rock up to every re- race weekend, like half titanium, mm-hmm. bionic, cyborgs. And there's, I mean, Rossi and everybody, and they're still just on pole straight away and they barely have any functioning fingers. It's like a natural ability in them to do it so right but what I admire most of, of Danny Rick is um, he spoke highly of Lawson mm-hmm. and he says Lawson has a big future ahead of him and um, he's been in the paddock and the and the pit wall listening into that development of the Alpha Tori so he's in the know he's also done a lot of simulator work to to what I've seen and read as well so he's a good team player guys I think he's played that 
Ricard very well to be the leader, you know, in that team. And he's he's come back strong and it's good to see him come back strong. Do you think he was only saying nice things because he knows his contract got extended to next year and, and that part of pressure is off of his shoulders? I feel like if he didn't have the contract extension, he'd just be like, yeah, nah, I'll be so much better than this guy. True. <laughs> true, true. He knows how to play his cards and that's why Christian Horner wants to keep him in, yeah. I think. King of marketing. Mm-hmm. The Americans love him. He's living the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> the new facial uh, design. Oh yeah, the, 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 the good facial old Facial aerodynamics, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, next point on the shootout, our favorite topic in every single episode. And I wrote here, what on earth is up with Perez? <laughs> I, oh. I feel like, Ron, you, you yeah. missed the Perez bashing show last weekend, uh, last weekend, last race weekend. So um, do you want to compensate? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you guys were very lenient, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, Perez... Mate, I mean, he hasn't been on my radar at all. Um, he's been underperforming at every instance. He's not driving the Red Bull car as it should. But that being said, maybe Max is overdriving it as well. <laughs> he's done well. Um, he's a good team player. But I just don't think at this time, whatever he's going through, he's not good enough to be the number two at Red Bull. If he's not careful and he's right now he's showing it after the last couple of races... He will lose P2 in the championship. It's so close. It's very it close. so close to Hamilton. I mean, yeah. actually, we were saying this last episode. We were like, I think you, Jazz, were saying that like, you know, yeah, he's in P2, but it's actually by a comfortable enough margin. As long as he secures P2 in the championship for Red Bull, his, his seat is safe. But mate, it's literally coming down to like what's mm-hmm. it, 12, 20 plus points yeah, uh, at various points in the weekend. And that is shocking. There's just no spark, right, guys? Yeah. He's not lighting up any interesting races or interesting strategies. He's interesting just results. Interesting <laughs> results. You know, it, early in the year, yes, he's he showed a bit of spark of being a really good racer mm-hmm. coming up front, coming through the field and pitting later than others and creating opportunities, etc. But this first lap dash in the mid-pack and then, you know, shunting in quali or FP3 and you lose the rhythm and then... Yeah, you know, in his interviews, like, yeah, you know, it's uh, I did this or I did that. There's just no spark out of him, you know. I think um, maybe you guys disagree with me. Like, the best in the last decade or so, the best, most consistent um, number two driver to a world champion for me was Bottas. He was always there. He never made stupid mistakes. And he's always there to support. Like, he knows, even though he wants to be world champion, he knows, like, Lewis will always, like, get him by that bit. But he always plays the role well. Uh, Mercedes loves him. He always comes number two in the championship, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. Not, like, close to losing it. Not, you know, spinning out, crashing in FP1 and doing all of that, which he shouldn't. No, I, I, I agree. I think when I think of the Hall of Fame for number two drivers, which is probably, like, the most awful kind <laughs> of first- <laughs> for you to be awarded yeah the first loser in your team best number two drivers I agree Bottas I also think Rubens Barrichello and I yes. also think of Felipe Massa yeah true definitely right I mean being a number two is never easy because you're rocking up into a race weekend thinking hey you know I'm second best into this mm-hmm. thing but you're part of a bigger organization than that um, and I think Bottas in recent years has shown that that what being a number two is needed. Um, he's won a couple of races. They won multiple world championships in, in constructors um, by him being a big contributing factor. 
And unfortunately, I think Dan, you also mentioned that a big portion of that constructors' championship points is solely on Max. Let's be honest. Yeah. There's no turning back on that. So I don't know where the future lies for him, guys. At this juncture, there's only a few races left. Red Bull has plenty of options mm-hmm. now. They've given a lot of drivers mileage. They've even announced um, the upcoming Isaac Hajar, who's doing FP1. Danny Rick is back. Liam Lawson's had a couple of Grand Prix already. Sunoda has done three, four years. I mean, they've got a they've got a decent pool of talents, despite of issues or reliability issues or or crashing, but they've got talents that are ready for that big seat. Very wise words from Malaysia's best number two driver. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> There's an awkward silence. Um, I'm going to be in trouble after this, guys. If I don't rock up to the next episode, it's just... Um, all right, let's talk about the sprint. Started off well, Hamilton really taking advantage of Herman Tilke's wide turn one, uh, doing a slim shady, sending it round the outside. Anything else you guys want to highlight about the sprint? Or I'm just I'm just going to go straight into the race. <laughs> no, I think I think um, the sprint race was pretty straightforward. To be honest, there's no, no creating dramas. opportunities, yeah. no dramas. There's no um, you know, there's a bit of wheel banging at the start. And that's about it, really. I'm sorry. Wow, well, this, this this shows you how much we don't like the sprint race format. <laughs> uh, Ricardo did beat Sonoda, so starting off well, I will say, uh, even though he did say he had many cobwebs to shake off, and that is our roundup of the sprint. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, no more of that, please. Uh, okay, on to the race. So for the race, we had Leclerc starting up front, Norris as well, Hamilton on the second row, along with Sainz. So a pretty interesting mix-up with Norris taking the lead into turn one with such a good launch. Other highlights, Sargent in the points. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to skip. My, my chronology is way off. Uh, again, guys, this isn't a race that I watch live, so my apologies. But uh, Sargent in the points. Let's talk about that. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, it's not really a story. Everybody's like, he's the first American to win points in 30 years, the last being Michael Andretti. But he only got there because two <laughs> other drivers got disqualified. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and he was there posting on Instagram. Did you yeah. see? He had his like thumbs up and stuff. He's like, yeah, baby, and the points. I got my performance bonus from Williams. But it's like, it's that's all sad. for the sponsors, mate. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was him in his private jet with his yeah. thumbs up. American home race. And, yeah. and not much for me to say there, guys, to be honest. Okay. Well, we, we, we can't avoid the obvious. I think the biggest controversy of this race was post race mm-hmm. where Hamilton and Leclerc got disqualified. Can either of you please elaborate? Well, there's this very strange, not strange, it's in the it's in the rule book, guys, about how uh, low and how much floor sizing after uh, certain skids on the on the floor touches. So having to see that after the, the, the main Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton and, and Charles Leclerc has such Plankware, a lot, plan- a lot of plankware than mm-hmm. normal, um, and the regulation states that it's ten millimeter plus point two. So point two is the margin for when you have full fuel. And the clear cut is that they were not in that measurement amount right after the race. So Joe Bauer, the technical delegate of FIA, has been in the spot for many, many years, and he spots little things um, like this as soon as he as he reaches on the on the scales and um, on the measuring ruler that he has. But what we found a bit odd, or what I find a bit odd, they are only checking four cars 
only the top forecast. Yeah, my wife brought it up to me as well, and I couldn't answer. She's like, "Oh, but they're only doing like random checks." They only, only doing forecasts. random checks. And I said, "Really? Even I didn't know about that." Right. <laughs> so, so the protest and the appeal being, why, why didn't you check the other cars? Why do you check the Haas or the Williams or the, um, the Astons and etc. Right? Mm-hmm. And the reason that they gave from the FIA is that they have a flight to catch. So they really? have no. They have to pack the containers first with all the equipments and they got to leave. What? The teams are not happy. So if you want to check, you check them all. Yeah. yeah. So the appeal's going to go on. It's clear cut that it's disqualified. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's certain routines that they check the weights, the fuel flow meters, as always. They check the tyres, whether you tampered them with and mm-hmm. all the barcodes are in order. They check the ride heights. They check the um, body works, if there, there's any flexi uh, materials or flexi parts. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And um, they pack up their stuff and off they go. So... Bernie Collins, one of the pundits for, for Sky Sports F1, if there's excessive plank wear, that's a 50% failure rate. So mm-hmm. what about the rest? Yeah. Big question mark. I think we need to kind of illustrate it for people that have never really seen the underside of a Formula One car. So just to kind of paint the picture, because obviously you're listening to us and not watching us. There, there are two things here, right? There's a skid block and there's a wooden plank. So the bottom of every single F1 car for the decades and decades, there's literally a really big plank of wood, just a piece of wood underneath every single F1 car. And the reason for that is the scrutineers, so the people in charge of the technical regulations of Formula One, will measure the height of this piece of wood after the race to see how much has been shaved off, right? Because when that wood hits the ground, the tarmac, which is made of little bits of stone and is very abrasive, it'll it'll wear away. So the lower you set up your car in terms of uh, the kind of mechanical setup, the more contact it'll have with the ground, particularly with a track that's very bumpy like Coda. And that will mean that you shave away more wood. And if you do that beyond one millimeter or something, you end up getting disqualified, which is exactly what happened to Leclerc uh, and Hamilton. There's another phrase being thrown around called the skid block. And that's a couple pieces of titanium metal. It helps with all of those lovely aesthetic sparks that we see the F1 drivers have when they go around the corners and stuff. In this scenario, both the Ferrari and the Mercedes were clearly running the car so low to the ground that the skid blocks completely wore off. Enough of the wood had worn off as well for them to be disqualified. Now, you are probably logically thinking, why don't you just increase the ride height, the height of the car? And I'll let you guys jump in with a bit more engineering knowledge. But my understanding, because I've always been a bit poor on the engineering side of setup of cars, is you want to be running as low as possible to the ground because the underside of the car contributes to a lot of the downforce that they have. And the lower you run to the ground, the more pressure you have that then generates that kind of suction effect to the bottom of the ground. Have I got that right, guys? Absolutely. Spot I mean, on. Amazing. Spot on. Amazing. Yeah, I, should, I should enter Jasmine's uh, Mechanic Academy. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, so why, why, okay, then then your next logical question then as a listener will be, why don't you just let these cars run to the ground as low as possible? And that's because if the cars bottom out, i.e. the bottom of the car actually hits the ground and there's no air going through anymore, you lose all downforce and there's a chance that you might just completely run off the track and get into a massive accident. So there's a huge kind of safety concern there as well, which is why they're taking such drastic action here. It is a, there's a performance element to it and there's a massive safety element 
element to it. So it's not just a case of disqualifying two drivers because a bit of wood has been shaved off. It's so much more than that. It takes a lot of calculation to to, to run, you know, certain parameters and window of, of gaining a performance. But whether it's an advantage or disadvantage, I think it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. um, whether the plank wear is, is a certain millimeter, you know. I think previously or last year's spec cars, they couldn't run any lower because of the purposing. So I think everyone's flexing their, you know, design uh, uh, knowledge now that they can't, they can run the car a lot lower. So mm-hmm. I think it's just FIA being strict on the rule books and it's mm-hmm. the safety element that, that comes with it. FIA coming into the news quite a bit. We'll talk about something else that's been quite controversial in the news cycle recently. Uh, but going back to the race, we've had three DNFs. Uh, so we've got Ocon retiring uh, with the record for most retirements of anyone else on the grid for 2023 uh, because of his contact with Piastri, who also retired, which is such a sad way to go after being really the star of the last race in Qatar. I mean, mm-hmm. to have his teammate in P2 or inheriting P2, he was P3, but inherited P2 after the disqualifications. Yep. Very, very sad. Do you think that's going to dampen his performance for next race? Is that going to cause a lot of psychological impact? Or do you think he can just walk away from that? I, th- I think just for this one, he can walk away from it. I mean, it's it's one out of the many, or it's one very rare incident that he normally doesn't get into. Um, his confidence level should be still pretty high after the good running he's had, um, you know, even prior to, to Qatar. He'll be, he'll be all right. You know who else is going to probably be running on a high? Stroll, who finally got to beat his teammate because Alonso DNF'd <laughs> as well. Um, I, I know that was a huge topic of conversation. I, uh, last episode, shortly after we recorded that episode, I, I saw Mike Crack defending Stroll again because he's on Aston Martin's payroll, daddy's payroll, uh, saying that emotions is what we want from sportsmen and we shouldn't be quick to judge them <laughs> on things like that. But I think that's a pile of BS. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. No, it's, it's just uh, exactly how, how you said it. His dad is paying for everything. The person he hired needs to be able to, to defend him. So he's, he's the only one defending him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess that, that, that says a lot, huh? And then to round up the race, we have Verstappen with a not-so-surprising, surprising victory from 6th on the grid up until P1. We know he's won the World Drivers' Championship. He's now hit, officially, half a century of race wins, his 50th victory. Mm-hmm. Hamilton close, about two seconds behind at the very, very end, but hats off. I, I, I don't want to pat Max on the shoulder any more than we already are, but, but, but credit but, words to Yeah, yeah but, but it also shows, like, you know, even after he's won his third title... Uh, you know, he he's a fighter from day to day. He doesn't just look at, oh, okay, I've won the world champion now, uh, the, the world championship. I can back off and ease off a little bit. He's a lion, um, hence the crest on his helmet. He's a lion. He's a fighter. He just wants to win at every single race he goes to. And that that's why his lap time got deleted in qualifying because he was just pushing yeah. too much. He really is yeah. pushing all the time. And even if that mm-hmm. means him losing pole position, yep. uh, here he is. I guess that's what it takes to be a world championship uh, winner. We will never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I'm bashing jazz a lot. You guys need to give it to me as well. Like, you all got so much further in your racing careers than I did. I'm like a, I'm an easy target, guys. We love a bit of banter. Yeah. <laughs> why, why are you crying? <laughs> all right, let's talk about some other stuff uh, outside of the race weekend. Jake Dennis making his debut in F1 with Red Bull. Now, Jake Dennis may not be a name that you've heard of much, but at least in my generation of racing, this guy was a massive name when I was karting. I mean, this guy was set to be the next big thing. He was a multiple champion. He was rapid in go-karts, much like DeVries was. 
He's done very well in Formula E2. What else has he raced? Have I missed it? D- DTM with DTM. Uh, Aston Martin. With uh, the, the German Touring Car Championship, right. which has incredible drivers. He drove for Jota in LMP2. Very, very experienced. He's been in the simulator development driver role for quite a while. Previously, that department was run by one of his engineers from his Formula 3 days in Fortec and Prema, but they, they never really announced it publicly that he's been on that role for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. he actually first did his test in 2018 in the RB14. And now ever since he won the FIA Formula E World Championship, he's quite a hot asset to have. He's still quite young. It's good that Red Bull awarded him with the current spec gen Formula 1 car. Do you think he's a little bit too old to actually have a legitimate career in Formula 1? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know about opportunities uh, for, for him to be in any teams, but... I think um, it's never too late, right? You know, Andre Lotterer was given a chance at mid-30s. Nick De Vries was given a chance mm-hmm. in his late 20s. You know, um, there's different drivers coming from different routes. But I think learning from Nick, probably Formula, Formula 1 teams are being careful mm-hmm. choosing drivers from Formula E because the driving techniques are very, very different. Mm-hmm. And the F2 route suits the F1 car a lot better, I would say. So, um, you know, you never know. Jake probably adapts better than others. He's driven multiple, multiple race cars, won plenty in them, and he's he's got a good uh, chance to, to, to see a bright career ahead. Yeah, it's true. I think Red Bull won't even give him a shot if they didn't think he was worthy of getting that test. Well, they've got plenty of amazing drivers on reserve. It's just a case of when will they kick out Perez? <laughs> 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 but we'll save that for next episode. Um Also in the news cycle, uh, FIA coming in with a lot of criticism, uh, increasing the maximum Formula One fines from 250,000 euros to a million. I mean... Well, Toto was supporting that, wasn't he? I thought he was saying that was ridiculous. Although he was saying, yeah, we should go up to one million. Oh, really? And then Magnussen was saying, if I get a fine for one million, I'm just walking out the door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Going to go to his his tax-free island (laughs) and and hide away. But it it is pretty hefty. I know Hamilton was saying that it's only acceptable if the money goes to a charitable cause or something that promotes diversity. It's a lot of money for any organization. Yes. It's too much money for a fine. You reckon too much? Too much. Yeah. It's way too much. I mean, it's certain fines is a slap on the wrist or, or, you know, you learn from the mistakes and move on, right? But a million is, uh, you know... It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Is, is the FIA struggling for money? Don't think so. Definitely <laughs> not. I mean, they're packing up so quickly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they are the, the monopoly for what they do. But it's oddly strange. I wonder who tabled this. It, it must go through a council. It, it must go through a team of experts, right? To actually decide, hey, that fine is one million. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, di- it didn't come overnight and say, oh, you know, I slept last night and I think uh, Formula 1 should be fined one million. So there must be, a, you know, this team of experts that, that took a voting and, and do it. And hey, Formula 1, starting from, you know, this date, <laughs> you got to pay, pay up this fine. So, yeah, it's it's oddly strange for for this team of experts to to say that because they know that the the utter cost of 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 running a team and and mm-hmm. you know paying the drivers and etc. So, um, it's it's um, oddly strange, particularly with the cost cap that they have. You know, the 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 teams have like the whole idea here is to promote new teams. I mean, like with Andretti coming in, you know, you want to make it as economical as possible. And here you are being like, hey, your finance team also has to account for the possibility of a million euro fine, and I don't think. 
think there's a limit to how many times you can issue that fine in a year, right? So anyway, we'll have to see what happens when it is actually deployed, when it's deployed, what it's going to be deployed for, and hopefully we can get our hands on the actual presentation that was used in the FIA, because I feel like it's just one slide that says, fine 1 million equals more money, thumbs up. And, uh, <laughs> but we'll see, we'll keep you guys posted. Uh, and a couple more points to round up. Uh, Bianca Bustamante just signed with McLaren for the F1 Academy. Great to see more Asian representation mm -hmm. uh, along with that female representation mm -hmm. uh, with such a strong brand. Anyway, as with tradition, let's do our win it or bin it. We haven't done it with us three for a while. I'll give you gents five seconds to decide your win it and then we'll say it all together. Ready? Three, two, one. Stop it. Who did you say? Right? I said Max. Max? Yeah, Max. Yeah. So, okay, I was yeah. going to do Max as well. Why? He's just on fire, really, Dan. Like, seeing that spin earlier with you in, 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 in some of the sessions and seeing how he's driving on the limit and, okay, track limit's fine. He dropped back to sixth. And I just love that, that fire in him. You know, it's so exciting to watch. Even um, he's, he's sealed that old title. So, I think there's so, so much more in him. Mm -hmm. to come even in the upcoming years or even if they change uh, regulation I think he'll still be a multiple world champion yeah I, I think I think it shows his versatility right like he can start from further down the field and still win yeah you know we, we've seen those psychological problem with Hamilton in the past sometimes when the race isn't going his way he just crumbles yeah right but I guess that never happens with, it, with Max. it's one of those things where if you cover the name of the driver it was just a ghost driver you just know like like he's he is so interesting to watch. Um, it just so happened his name is Max Verstappen. Yep. All right, Bennett. Three, two, one. Perez. Sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. Did for Ronnie you guys say anything? <laughs> <laughs> Who's yours? Yeah. I was gonna say Sergeant as well. Yeah, <laughs> Sergeant. Well, wow, I'm the odd one out this time. We were on a streak of being unanimous. What? What? Why? Why? Why, Sergeant? I mean, I agree as well. Uh, I mean, th there's this pool of drivers that they're just not getting any better, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the the car doesn't suit them. They re he's retired early, okay, because of heat exhaustion in Qatar. He's back at his own race. Fine, he finished twelfth. Well done. But then he got points. Okay. Is he a superstar? Is he F1 standards, like F1 credible? I mean, I don't think so, personally. No, I don't, he's I don't, lacking something. He's, he's lacking, lacking talent. Yeah, I mean, we definitely <laughs> I want to need... want to say that. Exactly. I mean, we definitely need an American driver on the grid. No doubt yes. about that. Whether it was a bit too early for him. He finished fourth in his debut year in F2. I mm -hmm. think it's mega. Yep. It's not an easy championship. And yet, you know, strong competitors. But guys, yeah, he's got to go, man. Yeah. And that I, is the exact reason why I chose Perez for mine. <laughs> <laughs> they both have to go. They both um, have to go. I actually wouldn't have chosen Sergeant if he did not make that post of, I've scored a point in F1 after the disqualification. <laughs> like, have some pride, man. <laughs> Someone salty. <laughs> we all are. All right. Uh, that wraps up this episode. Next race is going to be in Mexico. Uh, also a very interesting track, but this continues our run in North America, after which we go and check out the city that never sleeps, Vegas, that I'm very, very excited for. Um, Mexico will be this weekend, so stay tuned next week for our post-race episode. Don't forget to send in all of your questions that you have. Uh, there are no silly questions, so if something like the skid block 
uh, issue happens again and you really just don't understand why, send us a DM. Uh, we'll do our very best to answer it. But that's all for today. Thank you so much. My name is Daniel Woodruff. And with me in the studio, Jasmine Jafar. We're on 10. This was Suited and Booted. Take care and drive safe.